the biggest issues, the biggest stories, the biggest forum for talking about what matters on the biggest stick in the state. Now, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. This is the Steve Scafidi Show. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Tuesday show. The last is the last day of November. How about that? Where did that month go as we uh, race headlong into the rest of the holiday season? Hanukkah going on this week up until uh, the, the final evening, uh, December 6th. So happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends out there in the listening audience. It is day 64 of America Held Hostage. I don't have a funny little audio bid for you because I want to get into some more serious stuff here. But uh, keep sending those stories. Uh, people all really around the Midwest and beyond are telling me stories about uh, calling their Internet or cable TV or satellite TV provider and saying, look, paying too much, mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And uh, for the most part, getting some good results. So keep doing that. Sometimes you got to do it more than once. They're, they're charging us too much, and that's the message there. All right. I wanted to get right into it because I, I saw this last night, and it, it certainly complements our conversation yesterday about Dr. Anthony Fauci, a very controversial, in some people's minds, uh, leader of the movement crusade against the pandemic, against the, uh, the deadly COVID-19 virus. I understand people have different opinions on it, and I try to be respectful of those opinions. Look, you can decide if you want to be vaccinated or not. That is your choice, always will be. And uh, as I said, I'm not really a fan of a government mandate. I do support businesses who make that decision because it is a private enterprise, and they have the right to set the rules for their workplace. Not, not any issues with that, including many medical facilities. It is astounding to me that people argue that point. Not thinking, of course, that patients have a right not to be exposed to the virus. And again, nothing's perfect. The vaccine doesn't mean that you're never going to get COVID, because I know people that have been vaccinated have gotten COVID. doesn't mean you won't go to the hospital. You might. But uh, the, the large sample size of all the people in this country who have been vaccinated suggests, and in this world, suggests that likelihood of hospitalization, likelihood of death, much lower. And then I heard this last night. She's a former CBS 60 Minutes correspondent, CBS News, Laura Logan, is from South Africa. And I heard this, and I said, we got to play this, and, we, and I, I, I've got some thoughts. And this, is, this speaks to the degradation of discourse when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic, the vaccine, the virus. And I think this stuff has to be called out. And this was on a big network, Fox, most nights has one of the largest audiences for what I call political talk and, and commentary in this country and in many places in the world. The show is Fox Nation. Listen to what Laura Logan has to say. So in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, uh, the, doc, the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. And I am talking about people all across the world are saying this because the response from COVID, what it has done to countries everywhere, what it has done to civil liberties, the suicide rates, the poverty, it has obliterated economy. Economies. The level of suffering that has been created because of this disease is now being seen in the cold light of day, i.e. the truth. And people see that there's no justification for what is being done. 
All right, just a refresher course. For, for people who don't know who Joseph Mengele was, he was referred to as the Angel of Death. Nazi physician, member of the SS, remembered for his experiments at the Auschwitz concentration camp. He didn't just experiment. He killed Jews. He killed people. Thousands. Maybe hundreds of thousands. He was the guy. Guy is too nice. He was the uh, insane member of the SS who directed who got to be sent to the gas chambers. And he was one of the doctors who turned the gas on. So when you hear something like this from a, I don't know, fairly well-respected journalist, at least at one point in her career, 60 Minutes usually doesn't hire lightweights, and she worked there from, I think, early 2000s into the like 2016, something like that, a long time. I saw a lot of her work, saw a lot of her reports. She's a war correspondent as well. This is why this stuff has to be confronted head on and it, it has to be because this is what's happening to the discourse in this country comparing a doctor director of the national institute for health who's trying to knock down a pandemic to joseph mengela is beyond insane And when you have an audience like Fox News does, and I, as I've told you over and over again, I sample all these networks every night. The MSNBCs, the CNNs, Fox, Newsmax, all of them. And I watch all the nightly news in bits and pieces. To make a comparison like this is not only lunacy, but it's dangerous. Because the problem is, some people believe this. And when some people believe crazy things... A natural byproduct of that belief is crazy actions. It is insanity to think that medical professionals in this country, health directors of communities large and small, have to have security, have to have police monitoring their homes and their workplaces. Because idiots like this say things that other people believe. There is zero comparison between the work of Dr. Anthony Fauci and Joseph Mengele, the angel of death who killed thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of prisoners in World War II. It's sad. It's certainly a uh, clear example of, of where this country has gone, how something like this, commentary like this, could be passed off as a debate on Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's not. And if you believe it, just like Laura Logan, you're also a lunatic. You want to join the conversation? The Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line, wide open, 855-616-1620. Always provide you my email as well, steve.scafidi2fs. 1D at WTMG.com, and I spent some time last night responding to folks who were talking about my next conversation we'll get to in, in a second here, and that was uh, the, uh, the situation in Waukesha. Some interesting comments from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis I'll play for you in a bit. Uh, a few texts on my first segment on Laura Logan, 
speaking on Fox Nation, comparing essentially Dr. Fauci to Nazi killer Joseph Mengele. Now, one of the texters makes an interesting point. Maybe I misheard her. This is from 262. Maybe I misheard her, but what I got was that she is saying that people around the country, I think she was saying around the world, are saying this, and, and she's not saying this. Well, you, know, you can couch it however you want to. The message is pretty clear. Making a comparison to Fauci and, jo- and uh, Dr. Joseph Mengele is crazy. And to pretend, which is what my take is on it, that other people are saying this to her, just because people say things doesn't mean those people aren't crazy. Doesn't mean you should repeat those things. It speaks to what I've been talking about for a long time. If we don't confront the nonsense, we'll get more nonsense. Mitch from Sturgeon Bay. Her context was felt she's a red alleged role in the Wuhan lab where the virus was being developed, where the original COVID escaped from and has devastated the world. Mengele arguably worked on germ warfare. I think she's still over the top. Interesting point. Um, this is from the 920. As a Jewish medical researcher, I find the comparison between Dr. Fauci and Joseph Mengele is so offensive. Uh, let's let, uh, let's see. Sam from the South Side joins the conversation. Welcome to the show, Sam. Good morning. You're on WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, so Dr. Fauci isn't innocent at all in this. You know, no, we shouldn't have compared him to nazi or being malicious but uh he isn't a good doctor he's practically you know you can say evil in the things that he's okay. done let me give me some uh, give me some background on why you think dr fauci's evil well so have you seen uh the fauci documentary i have not tell me what so you saw in, in that that makes you think he's evil so he's he did something that basically this is before coronavirus, this is before SARS, this is before even the AIDS pandemic. Uh, he basically should have been fired for malpractice because uh, he knowingly knew his wife lied to him. And uh, if you watch the whole documentary, it's like within the first 10 minutes and he just laughs it off. And so the whole fact that he is still around because of that, I know with doctors, it's very difficult for the medical profession to get rid of doctors just because of all the lawyers. But the fact that he's still around and the fact that he's so narcissistic that says that if you criticize him, you're actually criticizing the science. So people can criticize him, and he's saying, I'm the science. And he said this multiple times, and that's just, you know, malicious in the fact. Um, let me ask you this question. He has worked for six presidents. If he is as evil and uh, misinformed and malicious as, as this documentary you watched or as what you have said, if he's that bad, why would six presidents of both political stripe have kept him around? You know, there are both, you know, both sides are to blame for this. To keep him around, like I said, to keep a doctor around is very hard in hospitals and you'll see this in hospitals and anybody in the medical profession knows that to try to get rid of a doctor for malpractice is almost impossible just because of the whole lawsuits in themselves and the fact that dr fauci is around he hasn't really put any benefit in to of his position there it's more of because kind of riding the coast of other people that have worked there so you you think he's he, he's a sham? He's uh, he's not a, a good doctor. You think that most of his work is is not worthy of the 
the praise that he has received. Would that be a fair assumption? I think there are some. So I think there are some things with Dr. Fauci that uh, you can say that the work that he's tried to do, you can say is good. But you, if you really go down to exactly what he has done, especially with the AIDS pandemic, yes, science changed. Yes, you can change your position. A lot of people want to go and say the whole mass thing. Things have changed. But right now, he is politicizing a lot of things. And, you know, you can say good things. You can say right things, but also be wrong. And Dr. Fauci is politicizing this. And to say that, you know, he is a good doctor and he's just trying to save the world, I don't believe that's true. What I believe is that he says correct things, like the whole new variant. There's nothing to be worried about because the doctor from South Africa said that this is just more transmittable, but it's not hospitalizing and more deaths. But Dr. Fauci's like, I don't know. And he just kind of puts fear into the American people right. than trying to reinsure. We'll leave it there, people. Sam. I hope, hopefully I gave you enough time to make your point. And, uh, you know, somebody accused me yesterday of being dismissive. I wanted, I wanted him to have the time to make his point. I don't agree with most of that. I do, do think he's, he's overexposed, and I think that's starting to be a, an issue. I think that's something he should address. We'll do this. We'll take a break. I want to play something from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and it has to do with a conversation I had yesterday. And it's about the massacre in Waukesha, and I, I think it is okay to say that. It's certainly a tragedy as well. But when six people, actually 62 people, are run down by an individual during a parade, I think massacre qualifies. And I thought Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican governor from Florida, had some thoughts that I think we need to start thinking about. We'll do that after the break right here on WTMJ. If you want to weigh in on our question and comments about uh, the comments of former CBS News correspondent uh, Laura Logan comparing Dr. Anthony Fauci to Joseph Mengele, it's up as our show poll on Twitter at uh, 620 WTMJ or at WTMJ Steve. And uh, we got over 100 votes right now. Um, doesn't surprise me. One of the choices is at 44%. Stunned, 24%. Grab for headlines, 25%, with uh, uh, quite a few comments already. So check it out on Twitter. Um, I heard these comments yesterday, last night as well, and I wanted to play them. It was um, interesting that we had talked about this with, uh, along with Carol Kane yesterday, the, the situation in Waukesha, the, uh, really the allowance by officials, bureaucrats, elected officials, to let the individual out of jail and onto the streets of Waukesha to end up killing six people and injuring many, many others. Listen to the comments of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis talking about that situation in Waukesha. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this, uh, what was the motivation. Uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically, should not have even been on the street, uh, had clear anti-white animus, uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This was an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. And we'll see what the actual motivation was. Yeah, we will see at some point, hopefully. 
But this was no accident. It wasn't a car driving itself. And uh, he's referring, I think, to the CNN banner that was on their show and, it, and is, uh, I think, still displayed on some of their uh, older news stories on their website, CNN.com. Somehow forgetting that this individual targeted members of the, uh, the units of those parades. Didn't swerve to avoid, swerved to hit. Killing six people and injuring many, many others, including young children. Saw uh, yesterday, last night, a story about a, a band member that was uh, struggling to recover from those injuries. Let's not sugarcoat what happened here. Somebody got out that shouldn't have been out. Took a vehicle, same vehicle, by the way, that he used to run over his wife a week or so earlier. He targeted people in that parade. There was many other routes he could have taken. He chose that one. And news media needs to do a better job, especially CNN. Car didn't drive itself. There's a story here. And when we talk about race in this country, having real honest conversations about black and white, not black versus white, black and white, and why people do things based on whether it's anger or hatred or bigotry, we should explore that regardless of the race of the person who is charged. CNN and others need to remember that. The news is next on WTMJ. The biggest issues, the biggest stories, the biggest forum for talking about what matters on the biggest stick in the state. Now live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. This is the Steve Scafidi Show. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the big show here on WTMJ. I am Steve Jordan, producing as always. Eric doing his news bits when appropriate. <laughs> top and bottom. Right now, top and bottom, but you never know. Breaking news, as it were, may always jump into our uh, our, our picture here. Uh, thanks for listening. I, I was talking to Jordan this morning, producer Jordan. We are very close to breaking our all-time record for podcast listens. So thanks to all of you. I think we're, uh, what you say, about a 1,000 short? 1,000 short. Let's do it today. Every interview, every show, a lot of our features, our fun stuff, Steve Ruled the World. Haven't even thought about what I'm going to do on Friday yet, so if you have some ideas, shoot it to the uh, Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 855-616-1620. Uh, thanks for listening, and however you listen, over the air, online, podcasts, um, appreciate all of that attention and all that uh, listening out there in uh, the, the radio world. All right, so I know you have a lot of choices. Um, this is one of those stories that always gives me pause. And the pause is really to just say to myself, how is this stuff still happening? In this day and age, 2021, almost 2022, where the issue of race gets interjected into high school life. No, I'm not naive. I understand that we, we, we're always going to live that reality, right? The perception of someone based on how they look, how they pray, how they act, all that stuff. It's... I guess it's human nature. At some points, uh, experts will decide that. But the overt and obvious stuff is something that, again, gives me pause. Why are these things happening? I take you to Janesville, specifically Janesville Parker High School. School officials have apologized to the Beloit Memorial High School community following what they described as an inappropriate student dress-up theme 
during the school's basketball game last week. In a letter addressed to Memorial students, I'm reading from a piece at uh, channel3000.com, by the way. Uh, in a letter to Memorial students, Bloyd Memorial staff members and the basketball team, Janesville Parker High School officials said students who usually choose a dress-up theme for games as a way to encourage spirit participation and camaraderie realized the theme was inappropriate, but some still students still dressed up in that theme. Beloit players who spoke with News 3 Now said Parker students showed up dressed in outfits mocking black culture and what they believe was meant to make fun of Beloit's diverse community. I don't, their goal was to, I don't think their goal was to hurt us. It was just seen as funny to them. That's what uh, Memorial's team basketball captain said. Uh, a couple other team captains said students wore white tank tops and baggy clothing for the gangster dress-up theme. One student allegedly showed up for the uh, uh, game with a bulletproof, bullet, bulletproof vest on. Think about this for a second. It's 2021. I get the whole dress-up thing. If you're in administration, Janesville Parker High School, do you have anybody like monitoring what students are doing, behavior, dress? I know when I go to my local high school, I know there's a uh, announcement made on acting accordingly, showing good sportsmanship. Even some chants are now outlawed at high school and other sporting events. Mocking someone's dress, pretending that this is under the umbrella of you know Spirit Day or whatever you want to call it, Dress Up Day. Shouldn't Janesville Parker, their administration, their staff, the people working at these games, be a little more aware of what's going on? If you're if you're you're from Janesville, I'd love to hear from you. By the way, this is from a letter from the administration, the athletic director Joel Beard, about this incident. Please accept our apologies for the hurt that was caused by some of our students at last week's Parker Beloit girls basketball game. Our students typically choose spectator themes for the games as a way to encourage spirit participation and camaraderie. With respect to the theme initially chosen for, for that particular game, we have learned that student organizers realized its inappropriateness, so they acknowledged that they already knew it was not right, and made attempts to change the theme prior to the game. Unfortunately, some of our students still opted to dress in a manner that was unacceptable and in poor taste. Here's a question. You have staff at these games. Why didn't you let, why'd you let them in? The next sentence, while we cannot go back and undo the behavior of some of our students, you could have not, not let them into the game dressed that way. If we're going to really have a conversation about race in this country, it's got to start with everybody at least understanding what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Mocking someone because of their style of dress based on race. Mocking, mocking other groups is probably not the best way to show sportsmanship and civic pride. It's, it's long past the time where this kind of behavior is appropriate. And while I appreciate the comments of the athletic director and the principal of Jamesville Parker, too little, too late. Sorry, this shouldn't happen. You have staff that works games. I know you pay those folks. 
They should have not allowed those students in the game. And where are the parents in this conversation? What do they say? Earl joins us from the Northwest Side. Welcome to the show, Earl. Good morning. You're on WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Uh, clearly, this kind of behavior, I mean, I went to a, a school that was, I don't know, maybe 95% white in high school and middle school. And, and of course, that's back in the late 60s, early 70s, and we experienced that kind of thing. To believe that we've come so far, I think, is a bit naive on the part of those who want to act like, you know, this this is not happening so much. Um, clearly, those of us who have children in schools that are predominantly white, we, we know what the experiences are. And, and the kids get it from the parents. And in this society, that's still acceptable behavior. So the kids didn't do that out of a vacuum. <laughs> they, they didn't even give it a second thought because that is commonplace where they live and, and what happens in this society. I, th- I think you nailed one point right on. It's, it's not just the kids. Only, only one point, huh? Only no, no, point. no, a big point. I'm giving you a compliment, Earl. I think the adults... Have to be the adults here, and 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 if they're they're looking at these kids come in dressed like this or acting like this, and an adult doesn't say, no, you're not coming in this building dressed like that or acting like this because that's not appropriate. Then the adults have failed us. And the reason I get frustrated about these stories, Earl, is I keep reading these stories, I keep hearing those stories, and if we are truly going to make progress on some of this stuff, and I am hopeful, I'm always a hopeful person when it comes to race in this country, and maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm not. But at some point, this stuff has to stop. Well, you say you keep hearing it. We keep living it. Absolutely. I understand that. Thanks for the call, Earl. I mean, look, I understand, you know, it's the whole kids. Somebody sent me a a note on on an email. Kids are kids. They do stupid things. I understand that. But that's why we have adults supervising this stuff. And I'm going to go back to one of my common themes. We're paying a hell of a lot of money for, for our education and our educational systems in this state. A lot of money. And I'm seeing an erosion of education, at least judged by test scores, graduation rates. And I'm seeing an erosion of discipline. I heard a promo the other day from my show last week talking on, on our station about the lack of discipline. The lack of supervision. You want to spend that money in schools? Go after discipline. Go after supervision. That's where you're dropping the ball. If you allow disruptors to take over the educational environment, which a lot of teachers that I talk to says is the case, in high school after high school after high school in this state, you are not going to get a good end result. It's going to be very poor. I'm not picking on Janesville. But at the same time, I'm going to call this stuff out because it's not right. And I'm sorry, an apology letter doesn't go far enough. You should be ashamed of that behavior. And I'm thankful that at least the principal, the athletic director, the girls' basketball coach, and the team signed on to the letter. The last sentence of the letter, we are hopeful that we'll be able to move forward and continue to maintain the level of sportsmanship 
and collegiality that our schools have seen in the past. I hope so. But at this point in our country, if we continue down the path of agitation, backtracking on lots of the progress we've made, just in the general awareness of each other as individuals, not defined by their, the color of their skin, we have to get past this stuff. 855-616-1620. You've heard the story. You heard Earl talk, talk to the story, the issue of growing up black in this country that we live in. Horrible past when it comes to the treatment of African Americans in this country. Horrific. And all of these little things, actually not so little, all of these events trigger people to act in, in ways that aren't helpful, aren't productive, and in some ways put a thought into their mind that this stuff is okay and should be accepted, and it's not. Janesville Parker, that high school and that administration, should have never happened. And it comes back to, to the words I just used, discipline and supervision. If you fail on those, the net result is your kids are not going to be educated and your kids are going to do things like this because kids are kids. Adults are there to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen. Lots of texts coming in. Our conversation about the, uh, the conduct and the dress and behavior of students at Janesville Parker directed towards Beloit Memorial students at a girls' basketball game. You know, it's, it's, again, none of this is easy. I understand that. We, we've been struggling with race in this country for 200-plus years. We're not going to fix it overnight. But and maybe this is a big but, maybe not. If adults in the room, or in this case the gym, actually supervise what's going on with their students, You know, the, the classic one is you have all these supervisors, these, you know, paid staff, and they're all chatting it up. What Meanwhile, the students are doing whatever they want to do. And I understand that's a, a broad generalization, but I think it still hits the target. You're there for a reason. Supervise the kids. And maybe you're afraid to argue with the parents. I, I, I don't know a lot about Janesville. I was surprised to see that their, uh, their mascot apparently is, is a Viking in, in Wisconsin, really. Same logo as the uh, Minnesota Vikings, by the way, which I thought was odd, but whatever. Um, lots of texts, as I said. Uh, from the 914, if the students came dressed as Al Capone or John Gotti, would there be an apology to Italian-Americans? Again, not appropriate. Gangster night, really? That's a dress-up night for a high school basketball game, girls' basketball game? From the 920, Steve, I believe there's an administrator at every home event. What was the administrator doing? Administrator should have taken control of the situation. You think? That's their job. I'm not excusing the kids. It's, it's, it's lame, completely inappropriate behavior. Not excusing the kids. And I, I actually would dole out some punishment. Maybe that makes me a, a, a hardliner. Maybe it doesn't. But if you're an administrator where this happens, how are you not called into the uh, superintendent's office with a simple, what the hell's going on here? How is this allowed to happen at one of our basketball games? I could care less about the 
racial makeup of the two teams. That has nothing to do with this. If the kids at Beloit dressed up as, I don't know, what's a uh, inaccurate, inappropriate depiction of white people. If they would have done that, I would, I'd be calling them out. It should not be happening in 2021. That's the point. 855-616-1620. As I said, lots of texts. Uh, from the 414, so it's okay to do a preppy day. Preppies are mainly whites. What does that mean? What, you're dressed up? I, is that offensive? I don't know. Is that inappropriate? you got to tell me. Um, Gail from Iwatosa. Steve, students and young people and kids want discipline, parameters, and guidelines. We have taken the ability of teachers and all adults to do that under the umbrella of free speech. So kids are allowed to run things, adults should be running, and things like this are the result. Also, all the so-called social justice craziness, and, and some is certainly good and necessary, has done more to divide the different races than help the original reason it was all brought to the forefront in the first place. We need more adults to take charge and to be the authority figures kids need them to be. Kids actually want that. I agree with Gail. Grow up. I understand that adults are driving a lot of the racial conversation in this country. You see it on display every day. And one of the things that I try to do on this show is give you a much broader look, much more honest discourse about race. I will call you out if you do things that are blatantly racist, bigoted, misogynistic, whatever. I'll call you out. I don't care your party. I don't care your affiliation. I don't care if you're a member of the media. If you say it, you got to own it, and I'll call you out on it. And I don't, I don't pick sides. If it's wrong for one, it's wrong for the other. 414, especially since they allegedly heard plans were being made to do this. You hit it around the head. These administrators are being paid big money, and we give them health insurance, supervise these kids. Yes. That is your job. I mean, I'm not naive. I, I went to a lot of games when I was in high school. I saw the behavior, and it was crazy, trust me. We didn't have the supervision they have now, or at least supposed to have now. From the 414, games come in all races. Why are we assuming they were dressed up mocking African-Americans? West Side Story, Peaky Blinders, come on. Okay, Texter. The school admitted it and apologized about it. Is that confusing? No, of course not. They recognized it was happening. They should have trained their staff and at least one administrator, according to one of the techs, to, to not allow this to take place. And they didn't. Take a quick break. All right. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Got the big uh, taping of the uh, WTMJ radio play tonight. Uh, be singing at it. Got a little bit of a monologue to do about my uh, pal and teammate, Gene Miller. I, I apologize to him ahead of time. <laughs> I'm going to be a little rough on him, but it's part of the it's like a It's like a roast toast, right? You got you to mix it up a little bit. But we're going to have some fun, and you'll hear that throughout December right on these very airwaves. And since I'm pitching our podcast page, you can at some point be able to hear it on the, see it, listen to it on the podcast page, I should say, uh, sometime in December. So, and, and by the way, go to our podcast page. Jordan has made it so easy for you all to do that. Text the word Steve to 855-616-1620, which, by the way, is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it'll take you to all of our shows, all of our interviews, 
Um, one I want to point out, two actually I want to point out. On Friday when I was in the after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, I had the uh, mayor of Waukesha, Sean Riley, in studio for, for a half hour. Fantastic interview. Um, a lot of, obviously a lot of motion as a, a, a leader of a community that suffered what they did uh, a week and a couple days ago. And then uh, at uh, also on Friday, I had the, uh, a really emotional interview with uh, Sharon Millard, who is one of the surviving members of the Dancing Grannies, talking about her peers who uh, were killed during that parade in Waukesha. So check those out on our podcast page at uh, WTMG.com. Or as I said, just text the word Steve to 855-616-1620. All right, I take you to Oroville, California. Um, the headline, I got it from Yahoo News, if you want to look it up. Uh, originally from the Los Angeles Times, paper I try to read almost every day. To protest COVID mandates, this California town declared itself a constitutional republic. What does that mean? Well, the, uh, the mayor, actually vice mayor of Oroville, Scott Thompson, he's the father of two, two young boys, was standing in opposition to the governor of California, Gavin Newsom's mandate, which, and I said this is going to be the next big war, especially next fall. The mandate that says school ch- children need to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The uh, vice mayor said he believed the government had no right to tell him what to put into his or his children's bodies, Many of his constituents agreed when it came to pandemic mandates. So he declared the community of Oroville, California, a constitutional republic. He went on to say this. Any executive orders issued by the state of California or by the United States federal government that are overreaching or clearly violate our constitutionally protected rights will not be enforced by the city of Oroville against the citizens. He read that declaration at a city council meeting this month. For some in the community, I'm reading from the story from the Los Angeles Times, this was a stand for freedom. Others saw it as a tantrum, political tantrum, in a pandemic that is its a pretty startling number if you look at California's impact from the pandemic. 73,000 killed from COVID-19. This county where Oroville resides, and I've been to Oroville, I used to live in California and used to travel the state a lot, has one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. 47%. Their hospital, which is not very large, is in uh, Chico, has averaged 26 COVID-19 patients a week. The thing that's interesting about this conversation We've seen these stories pop up from time to time. I, I've gone after local sheriffs, county sheriffs in the state of Wisconsin, who issued these edicts that, um, citing the Constitution, will, they will decide, they will be the sole arbiters of what rules and laws will be enforced and what ones will not be enforced. Look no farther than Racine County. And... Really, a starting point of our conversation in the rest of this hour is I see this as the tipping point. The, and maybe we're past it already. In the battle for what our future is going to mean as far as safety, health care, crime, rule of law, when groups, citizens, Decide what laws they want to follow and what ones they don't. Now, it, it, it applies to both sides. 
We know places like Oakland, California, not enforcing federal law, not cooperating with federal agencies. Here's what everybody forgets, though. This is the magic piece of this story. The underlying truth is that every community, whether it's Racine County, whether it's Oroville, California, whether it's pick a place, pick, pick a state. If you're truly going to do this and declare yourself a constitutional republic, in my mind, that means the spigot gets turned off. You don't get money for projects. You don't get money from the federal government. And depending on how you do this, you don't get money from state government. You're on your own. And while it generates headlines and certainly attention, it's dangerous, in my opinion. We see it happening more in rural areas of, this, of, the, of the country and, and in, this, in this place in California. It's under, uh, what's the other big term, sanctuary city, especially when, it, when it's uh, referring to gun laws. All of these ideas sound good to a point. What they miss, though, is there's a financial reality, an underlying financial reality, that would never support this. It shows the shallowness of thinking like this. We can pretend that we live in a place where you're just going to follow the laws that you want to follow, but what does that really get us? Where does that get us? And the answer is a five-letter word that begins with a C and is chaos. And whether it's coming from a county sheriff or a vice mayor or an other elected official, governor, this stuff's dangerous. There's a reason for the rule of law. Most of us, I think, and maybe I'm making a big assumption here, follow the laws of the land. We don't find ourselves in legal trouble all the time. We don't get arrested for things because we follow the law. And this is another, another thing that drives me nuts about this. And, and I welcome your calls or texts, 855-616-1620, the Akin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So much of this, so much of this, and I'm air quoting this, revolution has to do with the pandemic. It's not based on other things. It's the pandemic. Mandates, and you know where I stand on mandates. Private organizations, they have a right to, to uh, control their workplace, set the rules. Governments, they have some rights, but those are limited, and that's appropriate. But let's not pretend that doing our own thing, which means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Look at the state of Michigan, the mess they have right now. Look at the, uh, you want to use the classic example of elections and do your own thing. Look at the mess we have with this investigation now over a year old, into the election that happened last year, last November. Spending our dollars on something that, at the end, is not going to change one thing. And may, at some point, sub subvert our election process. 855-616-1620. The 
drive to leave state governments, federal government, and do your own thing, happening in places around the country, getting supports. What do you think? Growing momentum, maybe that's not right, the word, a growing push to say no to the federal government, say no to state laws, to do your own thing. We see it in Oroville, California, Racine County, and other places, and uh, one of the Texans makes a great point, we see it in January 6th, not my president, while they're bashing in the heads of uh, law enforcement. Mike joins us from Illinois. Welcome to the show, Mike. Good morning. Morning, Steve. How are you? I am good. What do you think? So the first thing I thought of when you were talking about this was the Branch Davidian complex about 30 years ago, and we all know how that ended, which was very bad. Um, you know, when the uh, it was raided by, uh, I don't know if it was the FBI or whatever. Um, these small little, um, you know, autocracies are not anything new. They've been going on for a long time. A lot of times they're militias, and, you know, they have uh, weapons as, as, as the Branch Davidian complex. Um you know, I think what happens, though, is that eventually, unless the cause is truly just, which obviously this country was founded on revolution, and our cause was just, I believe. But these other ones, when the cause isn't just, it eventually falls apart. Because if you don't have people that are willing to make the sacrifice, it's, it's not going to last. Um, I think about uh, what happened in Portland when they kind of took over parts of the city, or maybe that was Seattle. I get confused sometimes. But, you know... They, you know, took over and, you know, saying how bad the police were. But then when the people who kind of put themselves in charge started trying to, you know, make order, they said, they literally said, we are the police. Right. So what they were actually protesting, they said they became, and eventually their cause was not just, so it fell apart. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. And I, Mike makes a great point, and it's, it speaks to what I just said earlier, the shallowness of these arguments on that side of the political aisle. Liberals radicals saying we don't want the police to be in our city we want to take the streets back and of course that results in chaos and surprise surprise when they actually need police police still respond the shallowness of this argument is i don't like what you're doing therefore i'm not going to follow the rules but understanding that means that anybody can say that that's what criminals say every day i don't like these rules i'm not going to follow them i'm going to shoplift I'm going to steal cars. I'm going to drive like there are no rules of the road. I don't need car insurance. That's the problem we're having here. The population, regardless of, take politics out of it. The population is deciding to pick and choose what they want to follow, what they want to listen to, who they want to respect. Fueled by nonsense spewed out every day over the airwaves all over this country. Lots of texts on this um, from the 262. Like, sovereign citizens, they want the benefits and rights, but with no responsibilities. What a bunch of deadbeats. Hope for no forest fires. Um, here's one interesting local, and I'm, I'm not up to speed on Menominee Falls, but just watch. It's the beginning. Menominee Falls will be next. I hear a lot of things about Menominee Falls. I hope that's not the case. Um, from the 310 area code, thanks for long distance listening. Well, I guess that town doesn't get state or federal funds or aid. Yeah. You want to do it? Then you do without our money. You, um, you want that bridge fixed? Fix it yourself. 
You want that road patch, those, uh, those roads and highways maintained? Do it yourself. It sounds good. Gets people fired up. But in reality, it's a, it's a sham. Freedom doesn't mean, this is from the 414, freedom doesn't mean you have to, have to do anything. There are a set of rules we need to follow. Yes, otherwise we have chaos. Uh, let's see, one, one more before we go to break here. The tipping point was January 6th. The, the we will not comply BS may lead to the end of our democracy. Thanks a lot, Republicans. That's one example. I can point to examples on the other side as well. Here's my expectation. When we are confronted with stories like this, whether it's Oroville, Racine County doing their own election investigations or saying they're not going to follow orders of the governor, citizens need to say, you know what, just do your damn job. I don't need you to interpret for the rest of us what the rules are or what they mean. It might make you feel good standing up there at the podium. That's not what we elect you for, or that's not why you're there. We have enough issues in this country. Division is not going to help any of those issues find solutions. It's not. It just creates more division. I've warned about this for a while. It seems like for some people it's a fun and games argument, right? Own the libs. Own the neocons or the conservatives or the republicans or, or pick a flavor. People make a lot of money doing that. But it's not, it's not a real discourse. It's feel-good stuff. It's preaching to the choir. It's wasting our collective time. And ultimately, it could be dangerous. Because citizens acting out in defense of things they don't like creates chaos. And for a community, that is dangerous. Still time to jump in. 855-616-1620, the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Following the law, threatening to secede, which some states have done, communities, Mentioned the one from California. This is why I think this matters. This is a text from the 815, which I believe is uh, in Illinois, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, thanks for the long-distance listen, by the way. Wasn't the Revolutionary War all about we don't like the way the government's treating us, overtaxing us, ruling us? That was another country's government in the... Re actually, the Revolutionary War, yes. I mean, is this, what, is this where we're at? That we are simply going to over vaccines. It's not even about taxation. We're always angry about that. Who wants to pay more taxes? And yeah, you can make comparisons to the Revolutionary War, but again, another country, England. And in that case, it was the right battle. Is this the right battle? I don't think so. I watched a uh, the Steven Spielberg Lincoln movie the other night. Daniel Day-Lewis, spectacular, looking at the Civil War and, and the impact on Lincoln and, and the decision to use slavery as an opportunity to, or the abolishment of slavery as an opportunity to move forward. I just got a text a couple minutes ago. It's the classic, this is all a hoax. 
And when I get texts like that, I, I, I sometimes respond. I didn't this time. It's a good, I'll just talk about it on the air. What do you say to the families who have lost loved ones from COVID? What do you say to the doctors, nurses, and healthcare providers who deal with this every day? Folks working in assisted living centers, dementia centers, caring for the elderly who, who have been Im- impacted severely by this. All of those people, what it, it, so all of this was manufactured for politics? That's your starting point? It's all a hoax? Really? Seems like a lot of work. Seems like a lot of people would have to, be, to get on board to make that hoax work. I say it a lot. Be smarter, listen better. I understand it makes people mad. I don't really care. Because for all of us, including me, that's the goal, always. Listen better. Be smarter. You can make comparison to the Revolutionary War if you want to. This is still the greatest country on this planet, with more freedoms than any country on this planet. That gives you the opportunity to do many things, including say crazy things. But at the end of the day, I still want to stand up for this country and the rule of law. And I think most people are like-minded. This is not the Revolutionary War. This is a war on logic and common sense. And I hope the effort to take those down fails miserably. The news is next. The biggest issues, the biggest stories, the biggest forum for talking about what matters on the biggest stick in the state. Now live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City, this is the Steve Scafidi Show. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to 10 o'clock hour here on WTMJ. I'm Steve Scafidi. You can always chime in on anything we talk about. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line always open 855-616-1620. Big news today and throughout the rest of the week. A giveaway during the 4 out of 10 for Winkies, $25 gift card. Always fun. Great store. Never been to it, but Carol Kane was saying it was, uh, it's an awesome place, and I uh, have heard a lot of good things. So if that's your thing, and we know St. Nick's Day is coming up. Carol Kane's birthday is coming up next Monday, by the way. Get those uh, birthday greetings in order. We're going to spend a little time wishing her a happy birthday in our own very unique way next Monday on Monday's show. All right. Um, a mixed bag on the, um, the 4 of 10 today. Do you see Dallas Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy has COVID? I saw that on the uh, news last night. As much as people want to get rid of COVID, it's still you know impacting everything we do and everything we talk about. Unless, of course, you say it's a hoax, then you don't want to talk about it. I thought it was interesting from the perspective of, if you look at sports teams, and I don't want to talk about sports, just the sports teams and the league in their protocols, even with the strictest protocols, COVID is still there. We felt it with the loss of Aaron Rodgers. Remember the whole immunized, vaccinated Debate, uproar, controversy. We lost a quarterback for one game. We've had coaches impact on the Green Bay Packers, and now the Dallas Cowboys. I think they have like four or five coaches that are impacted because those guys work together, and even a player that will impact their next game. And uh, sounds like, at least reading what I'm reading about Coach McCarthy, he'll still be involved on the preparation side, just won't be on the sidelines. 
And I think it speaks to this idea of COVID as a manageable pandemic, right? This is where most of us are. There's that fringe that says it's a hoax. There's that other group that, you know, wants the lockdown to to return. That's not going to happen. At least it shouldn't happen in my mind. And there's everybody else. That 80, what is it, 82% now of the country, adults who are vaccinated. McCarthy is vaccinated. At least he said that. Who just faced the reality of, of, of a virus that doesn't discriminate. You got the vaccine? Hey, you can still get it. Just like if you get the flu shot, you can still get the flu. Just not as deadly. It's the point of vaccines, right? All of us in that big group, not to marginalize the, the ones on the outside, they have a right to their opinions, certainly. I've entertained their opinions on this show. But we sometimes forget that there's middle this middle group, this now 82% of U.S. adults, roughly, who are vaccinated with one, at least one shot. And uh, the number for two is in the 70s nationally. Not that high in Wisconsin, although it's getting better. Who have just said about this pandemic, we can live our lives, we can still go to weddings, we can go to ball games, football games, basketball games, high school games, work, workplaces, theaters, concerts, and manage it in a reasonable Calm manner. Why do I bring this up? Because a lot of the conversation is spent, and I, I'm probably guilty of, of this as, uh, as well, with the disruptors, the complainers. Who, if it's not this, they'll just find something else to complain about. Now, again, don't read too much into what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you don't get the vaccine, you're a bad person. I just disagree with you. You have the right not to get vaccinated. With this caveat, if you work for a company that requires vaccination, if you want to still work there, you're going to have to get the shots or not work there. Your choice. And at least as far as all the evidence I've seen, courts have protected that right of employers to mandate that. We saw it with flu shots for medical providers, health and safety companies for a long time. There wasn't the uproar, of course, because that was never politicized like this is. I hope Mike McCarthy recovers quickly. But it's just one more example that we can go back to normal if normal means acknowledging the virus, doing what it takes to mitigate it, and living our lives. All the rest is noise. Yeah, it sells Ratings, right? Gets ratings. Sells advertisers. But is it honest? Is comparing Dr. Fauci to Joseph Mengele a responsible thing to say that a responsible network would broadcast or cablecast? The answer to that is no. But here we are. It's happening. Just be aware of it. That's all. Number two coming up. All this week to the 4 10 we'll give you a chance to win a $25 gift card to Winkies, Hallmarks, and Gifts. We know St. Nick's Day is next Monday, and Winkies Hallmarks and Gifts has everything you need to stuff those stockings, candles and chocolates, children's books, ornaments, plush toys, winter hats, and so much more. 
Shop their unique holiday decor to deck your halls and gifts you won't find anywhere else. We thank you for shopping local this holiday season. Visit Winkies in the corner of Silver Spring and Lake Tribe in Whitefish Bay or shop online at winkiesgifts.com. Because I'm in a very giving mood, caller number four to 855-616-1620. Right now, caller number four. Get those phone lines burning up. Be nice to Jordan. You can win a $25 Winkies gift card. Um, circling back, I did an interview on Friday with one of the surviving members of the Dancing Grannies, my friend Sharon Millard, and she talked about the uh, her peers, her uh, fellow members um, who passed away as a result of the, uh, were killed, let's be honest, as a result of the attack in Waukesha last Sunday. And um, I was reading the Journal Sentinel last night online, and I saw this story um, about one of those people. And, and Sharon mentioned that this was one of the, she was the youngest and newest member of the, of the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies. Uh, her name was Tamara, Tamara Carlson Durant. She's 52 years old, 52 years old. Teacher and a chaplain, mother and grandmother. Uh, the story mentions that in 2009 she saved a man from drowning in the Wisconsin River. According to the story, she loved to dance. As I said, she was the youngest, newest member of the Dancing Grannies. One of six people killed during that parade. And why do I bring this up? Because I, I think we often, we being the media, cover the perpetrator, the criminal. There's a lot of other words I could use. The person that carried out this insane act. But we don't talk about the people that were impacted. There's a family out there. Tamara Carlson Duran's family who have to live with this reality for the rest of their lives. And as I said yesterday, for something that um, shouldn't have happened. She was a graduate of McGuanagall High School, University of Wisconsin La Crosse, great school. Spent 17 years in the Beaver Dam Unified School District, worked as an elementary school teacher, thanks for that service, and, and was a cheerleading coach. She was a hospice chaplain at Zuber Family Hospice and also a volunteer chaplain at Waukesha Memorial Hospital several years. A, from everyone that knows her, a great person. She's survived by her children, her husband, brothers, I'm sure a, a large extended family uh, and probably even larger group of neighbors and friends. One person who in her short life did a lot. I just gave you some of the incredible things she accomplished in that short time. One person who, of the six who died and the many others who were hurt, again, for something that should not have happened. Makes you think. Congrats to Cindy from Menominee Falls. She's our second winner of five this week of that $25 Winkies gift card. Three more chances to win. We'll do it in the uh, 10 o'clock hour, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. All right, remember that, remember that thing that um, has been going around, has been going around since January 6th? Oh, those were actors. Never mind, those were actors pretending to be Trump supporters. All that was staged. and So I've been digging around this story. I've been doing a lot of reading and, and watching some great documentaries on what happened that day. But I found an actor, but it's not what you think. Here's the headline. 
Jesus Christ superstar actor and accused Capitol rioter claimed divine authority in court hearing. The individual James Beeks, who plays Judas, or I should say played Judas in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar before his arrest last week for his alleged participation in the January 6th riot, got the judge so mad, he, he, he took him into custody and um, basically rejected all the things he was saying. He, uh, he said he told the court and the judge he had divine authority. The judge said, that's all gobbledygook. Mr. Beeks, you should be quiet unless spoken to. He, um, in his outbursts in the court, he, he parroted the uh, sovereign citizen movements. And if you don't know what that is, that, that's a belief that government institutions are fraudulent. And going back to my earlier conversation, you don't have to follow the rules of law. He um, is probably a great example of some of the... Uh, Depth of, or I should say, lack of depth of character of some of these individuals. No respect for the courts. He's the second Capitol rioter who refused to acknowledge the judicial system in our country. First was a woman named Pauline Bauer, a restaurant owner from Pennsylvania, sent to jail in September after she rejected the court's authority over her, refused to abide by basic release conditions. They could be out on the streets. They chose not to. Berated the judge in that case. Um, just so you know who this individual is, besides an actor, he joined the Oath Keepers on January 6th, attempted to break through a line of police officers guarding a hallway to the Senate chamber, had escaped the authorities' attention until they went to two of his performances of Jesus Christ Superstar, where they saw Beeks was performing and starring as Judas. And I believe he's going to have a uh, hearing today in Florida. So good luck to the uh, former actor. I'm saying former because I don't think he's going to be acting anytime soon. One of, I think, 650 people that have now been charged as a result of the uh, the riots on January 6th, something that unfortunately too many people don't want to talk about anymore, even though it was a serious threat in our country. Um, one more story. Uh, let's see, as we wrap the 4 at 10, this is something that I, I've kind of been aware of. Now, tell me if this is your situation. Like, in our house, it's not uncommon to have a delivery service on our doorstep every day. Packages, FedEx, Amazon. And I didn't realize this. You know, shopping can be an addiction. It's also necessary at this time of year because I have big holidays that involve a lot of gift giving. But there's actually some research and some, some science that says this this obsession with the tracking of our purchases and our packages is becoming a thing now. And it manifests in some really obvious ways, right? How many of us have ring cameras or other devices that show us our front porch or our, our doorway? And we're notified when somebody steps on said front porch or, or up to our doorway that there's a package there. And then we, we fret about it. Is it going to still be there when I get home? According to Owen O'Kane, a psychotherapist, even these... Little things like delivery of packages can be uplifting. It's like you're getting a present, even though it's maybe not even be a present for you or a package that's meant for you. And it's not unique to this. It's People look forward to dinner reservations, hair appointments, and again, receiving packages. He says this, it's anticipatory pleasure that something positive and good is going to happen when you get this parcel. And a lot of people realize that placing that order and waiting for it does feel good. 
I'm all in on this. I think this is exactly right. There's a certainly a um, rush when you buy something. I'm not a shopper, so I, I probably have less of that than most people. When you get something. But apparently now in our new technology-fueled world, tracking a package online, watching the guy deliver it, making sure, checking back that it's still sitting on my porch or your porch is also part of the process. So a uh, somewhat positive development of all those packages that are shuffling around our communities every day, each and every day. Raise your hand if you haven't seen a delivery truck in your neighborhood today. It's almost impossible. I see them multiple times every day, even on Sunday, driving around, delivering packages. Again, time of year also dictates some of that. All right, after the break, Interesting story in the Journal Sentinel yesterday. What did, what to do about the Milwaukee County Parks? They are in a severe budget crisis. What do they call it? The uh, the emerald necklace, a you know string of parks along our lakefronts throughout our communities. At some point, you got to pay for that stuff. How do we do it? What do we do about it? That'll be after the news, which is next. And don't uh, don't forget a little bit later. Um, author and columnist Christian Snyder is going to join us. Lots to talk about, including this dust-up between Ilhan Omar and uh, Representative Boebert over um, some accusations that were made, some terrorist accusations. And uh, what, it, what it speaks to, again, as the lack of discourse in this country in our conversation continues. That's coming up about 11.35. And I'm going to actually give us an opportunity at 11.08 to... Try to understand social media better. There's an interesting development from another country and how they're looking at anonymous online social media trolls. Would that fly here? And I'll tell you right now, I'd be a big fan of cleaning that mess up, but we shall see what that means. We'll get to that all in the 11 o'clock hour. So lots more to get to. Uh, but we'll talk Milwaukee County Parks. <laughs> Little ZZ Top for you on this Tuesday. I'd, I'd, I'd tell you what temperature is, but my temperature gauge is deinstalled. Is there, are we ever going to get that fixed? Or is, that, is that a relic of the past? Don't talk about temperature. All right, I won't talk about temperature. Is it nice outside? It looks like the sun's shining. At least we got that going for us. I, I, was, I was intrigued by hearing uh, Bill said, say, 50-some degrees. It's not bad for November. Again, every day that it's not cold, bitter cold, every day that's not snowing is a victory for us. On the weather side and on the mental health side. Don't forget that. I don't need to snow. I'm not snow skiing anytime soon. I don't need to fire up my uh, snow blower, my Aaron's snow blower. I don't need to do any of that. I'm more than happy to just have a little bit of pre- precipitation that I don't have to shovel, maybe a little cold weather. I can put a coat on. Good enough for me. Fine. I'll move on. All right. I wanted to talk about parks. I don't spend a lot of time talking about parks on this show, but this is one of those those conversations that I think has to be had. Now, we those of us in Milwaukee County know that there's a tremendous park system here. I think it's the emerald necklace is the term that's often thrown around. Maybe Correct me if I'm wrong. It's um, more than 100 county parks, and um, we've all been in them, right? Pulaski Park, Humboldt Park, I mean, Lake Park. I mean, there's, you know, hundreds of them. And by most standards, these this is one of the best park systems in the country. 
an example of how communities should do this. And we've all been there for, you know, family get-togethers, maybe sports, picnics, even weddings sometimes, taking place in these outdoor amphitheaters, so to speak. It's part of what makes Milwaukee, Milwaukee, and it's, um, it's, it's a unique thing. Emerald necklace is correct. Thank you for the approval on that one. Now, there's a challenge behind all this, and I think that's what I want to talk about. The, the folks running the park system, including the Milwaukee Parks Foundation Executive Director, Rebecca Stoner, have said that the, um, the lack of revenue, tax revenue specifically, is hurting our parks. Hurting our communities, these are her words, especially those that have seen disinvestment due to systemic racism. This fiscal cliff is fast approaching. No one is coming to save us. And it's all part of a look at how we fund our parks. The problem, of course, is that we, and they, have to spend more than they're actually taking in. Costs exceeding revenue. A lot of county officials, elected officials, point to a stagnant shared revenue coming from the states, and in many cases, the state legislators' unwillingness to give back or even allowing a local sales tax for parks. County Executive David Crowley has said these financial straits could mean that by 2027, so less than six years from now, there could be no property tax money available to support the parks, one of the services the county is not mandated by the state to provide. So looking at the parks, we all have our interface, right? Whether it's jogging through a park or having a, attending a wedding or having a picnic or just hanging out. We all interface at some point. I've said for a long time, and I was a former elected official in Milwaukee County, the model has to change. While it's fantastic to have this emerald necklace as it's described, it's very expensive. And as somebody who appreciates the conservative nature of budgeting, at least from my perspective, when you have shrinking revenues, that should dictate that you scale back what you're spending. Now, as we know, Milwaukee County is often trapped by the cost of labor. Decisions they make. Their elected officials, our elected officials, because I live in Milwaukee County, decisions they make to hand out raises year after year after year when revenue is shrinking. And in the case of Milwaukee, population is shrinking. I've had this argument over, over and over again. I understand that we want wages to increase. I think most people have that expectation. But I've worked in the private sector. There are years where you got no raise because, frankly, the revenue didn't justify it. But that's not the reality generally in the public sector. And the argument is always, our employees deserve that raise. Well, the same arguments made in the private sector, but deserving and getting are two different things. So here's the, the rub. You went from a system where the parks are paid for by property taxes primarily to this new vision, sort of, although it seems to be structurally failing, of raising revenue through permits, admission fees, food and beverage sales, rentals, all of that stuff. Here's a quick dazzling detail about the situation. I think it kind of encapsulates what I'm talking about. 89, 1989, 
74% of the park's revenue came from property taxes. You know what it was in 2019? 43%. In that time, property taxes in the, the department's budget, adjusted for in- inflation, decreased from 27.5 million to 15.9 million. That's from a report by the Policy Forum. A uh, gentleman I have a lot of respect for, Rob Henkin, leads that organization. He says, it's a good news item. The Parks Department leaders have been creative and innovative and have found ways to boost earned revenues. But I think a really important point that we're making here is that to the extent that by necessity that trend continues, it does start to raise some questions about the mission of a publicly owned park system, a major portion of which is to provide free public access to open spaces and in some cases to recreational activities. So that's the question for, for me. I have zero problem with the free access to public spaces. But when you're talking about recreational activities, the things you do in in a park, if you're facing very tough budgets, you have to make very tough decisions. 855-616-1620. I'm not a park hater. I'll baseline it with that. But examining how we structure that organization, how we pay for parks, and probably more importantly, what our public expectation of what parks should provide to all of us, I think has to change. And I even haven't even mentioned the hundreds of million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in repair costs that are looming out there for the park system, buildings and other facilities that need to be fixed at some point. 855-616-1620, the looming fiscal crisis for Milwaukee County's parks, which are outstanding, and a national leader. But like a lot of things, it always comes down to that basic question. How do you pay for it? What should we do? That's next. A little bit of Packer news. They flexed the uh, Packers-Ravens game. What was the date on that, Jordan? Week 15 of the NFL season, so there's 17 weeks now, so... In December, it has been flexed to 325. Not surprising. Packers are a, uh, a hot commodity. One of the best teams in the NFL. But we're not a sports sports show, so we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I was talking about parks. Interesting. It, this is always a fascinating one because it's hard to talk about because everybody appreciates the parks, but in some sense they don't, right? They just expect them to be there. Whenever you need them, they're there, right? I want to go have a picnic, pick up a sub, Camp out, just there, always. Not, of course, realizing that there is cost associated with it. And I was reading from a story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel um, that kind of addressed some of the larger fiscal problems that the parks are having. It was a story written by Allison Dewar, Deer and Vanessa Swales. Um, and it looks at all the implications of decisions we make about our park. We all love them. But it's a struggle, and you have to figure out how we're going to do this. Now, one of the things that I think provides opportunity is how local communities within Milwaukee County work with the county parks department. Now, I've been I've advocated for a long time. We've seen it with the beer gardens. We've seen it with a few other things. Understanding the public-private relationship better has to be part of the story. Because we know that the success of the beer gardens indicates there are possible revenue streams where maybe we didn't think one existed previously 
One of the ideas that the uh, that's been thrown out there is partnering with uh, organizations like the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewer District. Maybe talk about shared responsibilities for maintenance, some of the other things that parks have to do. I talked about the generation of revenue. Um, separating is another one. Should the, the botanical gardens, the Mitchell Park domes be separate from the parks, financed separately? Building other relationships with nonprofits to provide programming or services, also maybe help fund maintenance, improvements in the parks. There's always ways to do things better. The problem I've had with parks and in the county generally is there is an insistence on just keep doing it the same way. It's not unique to county. It's finding me a community that doesn't cut the grass on the same schedule they cut the grass 30 years ago, often on a paper chart plastered on the wall of a local utility. Seriously? There's technology for a reason. And as much as I love the Milwaukee County Park System, there has to be a, a come-to-Jesus moment here that suggests if this is our revenue reality, if this is our property tax reality, we can't keep doing business the same way we've done business in the past. And I know that upsets people. From the text line, the Acunet Mortgage talking text line, Oh, let's see. Oh, man, it must be great to be a Republican. You demand taxes are cut and public use services pay for themselves. Then when services decline, you point to that as a reason to cut their budget further. Then when they decline further, you demand the sale of public property to private companies for pennies on the dollar. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that at all. I'm advocating for a realization that the model has changed. The reality has changed. Here's how we used to look at budgeting in communities. This is before Act 10. Uh, whatever you need, we'll just tax for it. Well, what does that produce? And what did that produce? Ever-increasing taxes. I don't want to be a state like New York or California where you just tax everybody as much as you can all the time. I don't want that. Nor do I think most residents in Wisconsin want that. They want a balance between the correct levels of taxation, all of us reasonable, rational people understand we have to pay taxes, and the expectation that we're not going to Cadillac the services as justification to have ever-increasing costs. To me, it makes sense, but that's because I'm a physical conservative. And I'm not bashing, somebody says I'm bashing county employees. Look, when you work for an, an entity, public or private, you have, an, you have an expectation of a wage and benefits and work conditions that are safe. That's the expectation. Your employer, just like in the private sector, does get to make changes occasionally. I'm not arguing that they're, they're adding more staff, because they're not. Most communities, most counties are doing more with less. That's probably a model that's going to be in place for a long time. But given the reality, the, the fiscal reality, you have to make changes. And I'm sorry, as much as some people like the domes, I haven't been to the domes in 10 years. I don't think it should be part of the parks system. I don't. And other things, somebody made the point about pools. Should we be in the pools business? I don't know. Maybe if we want to provide pools for use, make them into our pools 
in the schools. I don't have a pool in my community. Outdoor pool, yet some do. So am I being discriminated against? Texter from the 414, Milwaukee County is in this position because of the retirement system scandal from 25 years ago. Yeah, that doesn't help. It does not help. The amount of money that was doled out, my opinion, illegally, has contributed to this mess. The answer, the question is, how do we fix it? I have said over and over again, you have to fix these challenges, and I'm sorry, whatever you can do legally to the pension system, you should start thinking about doing, otherwise you're not going to have a park system, or one that's worthy of the attention this one gets. And I'm not a parks hater. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The Accident Mortgage Talking Text Line. Still, still time to jump in. We'll get to that after this. Talking about the uh, county park system facing some really significant fiscal challenges over the next few years. We'll take Earl joining us from Manitowoc. Hey, welcome to the show, Earl. Yes. Good morning. Or yeah, I guess it's still morning. It is. Uh, just a thought. Uh, we have companies that put up. Tens of millions of dollars for naming uh, baseball fields and basketball arenas. Maybe we can find some businesses within our counties that would be willing to rename parks within the county, maybe even within the city, so that uh, they could help support. Now, obviously, there are, you know, you mentioned pools, so you'd have to structure it in a way so. So that business wouldn't be subject to being sued, right? For right. Protections situations. built in. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it's it's a it's a great example. I think we've seen it with uh, you know this, the stadiums in the arenas. That thanks for the call, Earl. That um, there's opportunity there. I'd have zero problem with that. Again, public private. It's something that has scared some of the uh, park diehards for a long time that any attempt to change the model or change the way of doing business is a direct assault on parks. I don't think that's the case. I think like a lot of other institutions, you have to modernize. You have to change your way of thinking. And I think if you uh, look at the, the county parks from the perspective that they already are outstanding or at a, at a very high level compared to what other states have and other counties have, we have a good starting starting point. But we have to... This country needs to have a come to Jesus when it comes to revenue and taxes. The idea that we're going to just spend whatever we want to spend and then just tax accordingly is not popular. It really never has been with most people. We've got to get out of that mindset. We've got to change the dynamic. Uh, just a couple quick ones here on the text line. I can have mortgage talking text line. I've been using the indoor pool on the south side for water aerobics most days. Old, older senior citizens are also there exercising. It's affordable. Senior citizens are pay, also paying to just use the showers so they can no longer get out of their tub. I get that. And I don't want to come down on senior citizens. I just think we have to look long and hard at how we produce revenue in what is a public entity. And maybe naming rights, maybe uh, higher fees. All those things should be on the table. You want to fix this? You're going to have to be big and bold. And, and often, again, not preying on the Parks Department, I haven't seen that. After the break, speaking of big and bold, I say social media should not allow anonymous accounts at all.
If you want to be on a social media platform, the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, put your name on it. Stand by your comments. That's our next hour's conversation right here on WTMJ. The biggest issues, the biggest stories, the biggest forum for talking about what matters on the biggest stick in the state. Now live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. This is the Steve Scafidi Show. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to 11 o'clock hour on the Tuesday edition, the 30th and final day of November as we launch ourselves tomorrow into December, the holiday season. And for all the folks out there who celebrate Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah to all of you. I think it's it's referred to as the Festival of Lights. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, holiday season, full force. Matter of fact, we have our recording of our holiday radio show tonight, which you'll hear sometime in December. I think it was the 18th was the first. Correct me if I'm wrong, someone here at WTMJ, but I think it was the 18th first broadcast and, and will be played many times. Should be fun. Looking forward to meeting everybody out at the uh, venue site later on today and this evening. It's kind of the, uh, the send-off for Gene Miller, sort of, although he's not even leaving until, what, February? Is he going to surprise us and just all of a sudden be gone? Like not have an like, official last day? Just all of a sudden be gone. Where'd Gene go? I don't know. He's gone. But will he ever go away, really? I, I predict that his voice will continue to be heard on this station. I predict. In some form or fashion. And yeah, Vinny Vetrano taking his place. The Vinny, is, it, is it the Vinny Vetrano show? Is it Wisconsin Morning News? What is it? We'll all find out. We'll all find out together. Sometime in early 2022. All right, don't forget, 1135, author and columnist. I hear he's working on a new book, too. Christian Snyder joins us. He's a music guy, as am I, and both Beatles fans. We're going to talk about that Beatles documentary. And uh, if you have a chance to see it, I'm actually going to try to, i got to find out if I can do this first, play some of it for you tomorrow on the show. And, and the piece that I'm thinking of, and I described this to Gene yesterday. We were talking about this in, in, in our transition between the shows. In about a two-minute period, Paul McCartney goes from just strumming his guitar to creating a hit song in like two minutes as uh, George Harrison and Ringo Starr are just looking at him in a uh, kind of a big uh, warehouse space. I think it was in Liverpool. Um, It's amazing. So uh, we're going to break that down with Christian, Christian Snyder in a little bit. All right. I have a take, as uh, Mike Greenberg would say on ESPN, a hot take, and it has to do with social media. And I, I was prompted to want to talk about this because of a story I, I, I saw again at Yahoo News. And it, it's the headline is this, Australian government vows to unmask online trolls. They're introducing legislation to unmask trolls, people that prey on people on social media, on the big platforms, Facebook and Twitter. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said the law would protect Australians from online abuse and harassment. Said this, the online world should not be a wild west where bots and bigots and trolls and others can just anonymously go around and harm people and hurt people, harass them and bully and and sledge them. It's not what happens in the real world, and there's no case for it to be happening in the digital world. And to that I say, bravo. If I was running Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, there wouldn't be any more anonymous accounts. You put your name on it with some identifying information. It's not a right to be on those platforms. You have no right to create some weird anonymous 
tag and go on these sites and harass people. Yet that's what we come to expect. And it's contributing to an alarming increase in incidents of hate. And in, in my mind, does rise to the level of harassment. I've had them directed at me. Both in my previous life as an elected official and as my current life as a radio host. And I'm sick of it. And just so we get this out there, there's a lot of people when, I, when I've brought this subject up before say, I don't want to put my name on it. My boss will think such and such. I don't want to put my name on it. My wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever will think such and such. I don't care. Then don't be on it. You don't have a right to be on these platforms. Find another avenue to create nonsense and mayhem. Frankly, I, th- I think if we, if we did eliminate these anonymous accounts, it'd be a much better world and add to a better discourse. Now, I'm not saying you, you can't be snarky. I'm not saying you can't go after somebody who has an opinion that's crazy if you think that. But, for example, I was reading some commentary about uh, sports over the weekend on Twitter. And the a anonymous account basically tells a sports writer, sports reporter, I hope you have a heart attack. And then other comments about his family. And I'm thinking to myself, really? That's what we're, we're allowing? I understand that there's some people that, that think they need to be anonymous to protect themselves. But you don't have to be on these platforms. You don't have to do that. Find another avenue to express yourself. Because what's happening with social media is destructive. Not because of the 90% who use it properly, but because of the 10% who prey on other people, who hide behind anonymity to do it. 855-616-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I got zero problem. I have zero problem with banning anonymous accounts. Do it tomorrow. They could do it tomorrow if they wanted to. And I'm sure there's revenue reasons why they're not jumping up and up and down by the idea of eliminating those anonymous accounts because numbers fuel a lot of things, including advertising rates and revenue. But are you doing a disservice to our country, our culture, and the level of discourse by allowing these accounts to continue? 855-616-1620, the Icon and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? I say get rid of them today. I say get rid of anonymous accounts on social media. What say you? 855-616-1620. Mitch from Sturgeon Bay. Aren't most of the snarky, ugly comments posted anonymously or or with cute aliases? If you shut them down, won't it bankrupt that medium? Not that I care. Social media is a cavern. It won't bankrupt them. They'll be fine. It's a small percentage, very small percentage. But I'm just tired of dealing with it. And I think if we look at the... This this is the thing. If we're going to be a woke culture, that's what we're always told, right? We have to understand... The bigger picture. Allowing anonymous trolls to target people, to threaten people. We get it. As radio hosts, we get it all the time. I don't care what station you work at. It could be a music station. There's always some idiot trying to take a shot at you. I'm not making excuses. It's just that's what it is. Uh, from the 414, Twitter is the most, most filthy platform start there. Yeah, I would agree. Facebook, and maybe it's the people I follow. I've got 
fairly large number of followers. I, to me, Facebook, other than the ads, which are unrelenting and nonstop, I guess if you, you, you pick who you follow and you can certainly mute the ones you don't like, I think it's sort of cleaned up its act a little bit, but you know, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm less about Facebook than I am about Twitter. Twitter is rampant for conspiracy theory, attacks, just generally idiots acting like idiots. And to the operators, I saw that uh, it's a Jack Dorsey that, that stepped down as the CEO of Twitter. And uh, a new person has assumed that role. Here, here's an opportunity. Fix it. This expectation that we can be anonymous. This is why a lot of newspapers have got rid of comments. Because it was unrelenting, crazy, hate-filled, and in some cases dangerous. And we don't need it. You change that policy today, Twitter still survives. And I would argue it's a better product. 855-616-1620. Carrie um, from Oak Creek. Uh, don't say something you wouldn't own in person face-to-face. Yeah, absolutely. My name's on mine. I'm not attacking people. I've never had a problem with uh, any of my content being challenged by face uh, by Twitter or Facebook. Yet I, I constantly read from people that are connected to me. Oh, my God, they, they, they shut me down. Well, did you ever look at your own behavior, the things you're posting? Uh, let's see, from the 414... Uh, let's see. No, that's not really relevant. Um, requiring, requiring you to put your real name on the big social media sites is a terrible idea if you think beyond the trolling and mean comments. I don't agree. I think we have to start looking at these things. It's not censorship. The company, Twitter, makes their own rules, sets their own policies. I think it would be refreshing and enlightening to so have a social media platform says, you know what, we're we're done with the anonymous accounts. Now there's still going to be people that are gonna they're not going to play by the rules, right? There there's ways to fudge anything. There'll just be less of them, which is a good thing. I like social media. I will re-examine that concept once I'm not doing what I'm doing now because part of that involvement has to do with show content, interaction, publicity talking about the show, all those things are connected. And I would probably have a much reduced role. We can spend time debating this forever, but it's time for people to start doing things. And one of the texters said, don't, don't um, think too highly of Australia, I'm paraphrasing. Um, they're, and then they went into a, a kind of a vaccine conversation. I'm not praising Australia. I just think it, it, it prompted me to think about this. And when somebody is threatening somebody on a social media platform, to me, that's no different than you, th- you doing it in person. The Attorney General of Australia said, you should not be able to use the cloak of online anonymity to spread your vile, defamatory comments. I agree. Now, there's always nuance to everything. But they're already doing that. I just saw somebody that was uh, responding to me last week that got removed from Twitter, not from something I did, but apparently it was something they did. And a tweet was deleted. It's already happening. I'm just trying to push them to maybe speed that process up. You know the other development that bothers me about social media? Elected officials have gotten into the act. 
Here's my litmus test on serious elected officials. If all they do on, on Twitter or Facebook is criticize the other party or other elected officials, they're not worth following. Like, what's your idea? What's a positive or what's a step that you're going to do? Easy to take shots, much harder to offer solutions. That's my litmus test for elected officials on social media. You know who the worst is, one of the worst? Ted Cruz. Absolute lunatic when it comes to Twitter. Do your damn job. You're a senator from Texas. He's involving himself in all these online conversations, all these social media platform back and forth. Do your job. Nobody cares what you think. My opinion of you is based more on your willingness to flee the country on a vacation instead of doing your job. And there's examples from the other side as well. Just do your job. And as I say often, writing press releases and tweeting things or posting things on social media, that's not a job function. That's, that's fun time stuff. That's uh, away from the office. And frankly, too many elected officials start, are starting to think that's their main role, including some sheriffs in Wisconsin. More after this. One of the texters brought up the uh, former president's use of, of Twitter. You know what? He put his name on it. He wasn't hiding behind an uh, anonymous account. Said POTUS, Donald Trump, real Donald Trump, I think it was his, his tag. Yeah, he put his name on it. Therefore, doesn't give you unlimited freedom, but it certainly gives you the ability to communicate. And until you pass or go past or bypass their policy guidelines, which he did and get kicked off, he spent many years on Twitter. Uh, Jim from Oconomowoc. Example from the other side, don't embrace or promote violence. In contrast, Gosar, Boberts, Green, Bannon, et cetera, wrap themselves in violent words and our imagery. It, it, we can go on and on about the both, both sides thing. There are examples from the left. I, I, I get them. Sent to me. Often in direct messages. Um, let's see. Steve, when you're ripping on a Republican behavior and you say there's examples on the other side, I'd actually like to hear them because I can't really think of any that compare to the ridiculous things coming out of their fringe elements of the Republican Party these days. I will dig one up for you and I will read it verbatim. How's that sound? Um, Trump really popularized using social media, unfortunately, although I think the words in social media are actually an oxymoron. There's nothing social about it. Um, From the 414... Uh, I agree 100%. All social media accounts should require the person's real name. A majority of the social media crap would stop immediately. I, I do think that's the case. And we can, we can you know, argue about it, complain about it, but it's really up to those, the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world, a simple decision, really. We're not going to allow it. All those arguments about advertising and, you know, buying data, How about the more destructive elements? Letting idiots run your platforms. A small vocal minority who control Twitter and Facebook every damn day. How about fixing that as much as you possibly can? I would love to read posts on my timeline that aren't filled with nonsense every day. Or attacks. Frustrating, but uh, at some points, 
maybe they will uh, at least come around to a way of thinking that this this does have broader societal impact and can be dangerous. And in some some cases, maybe extremely dangerous, depending on who's saying it and, and the impact on the person that's affected. Um, I understand why some people request it. I don't care about your boss being offended. I don't care about your partner being offended. If you're that ashamed of what you're saying, you shouldn't be saying it. Simple? I think so. All right, every, not every two weeks, but almost every two weeks, author and columnist Christian Snyder joins us. You can see his work at USA Today, author of 1916, the blog. And did I see, Christian, you, you're, are you working on or have you already written another book? Uh, there's another one coming here in the next next couple of weeks. It's oh. uh, yeah, it's essentially a uh, kind of a greatest hits uh, book. I've uh, over the last ten years as a columnist, I've collected all my favorite things that I've written, and of course, there's me being from Wisconsin. There's a lot of Wisconsin content and Milwaukee content in there. Um, so yeah, that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Oh, in time for Christmas. Yes, the name of the book <laughs> is uh, Anti Knowledge. Anti-knowledge. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, I've, I've read a lot of your work over the years, and uh, I, I think it'd be fascinating to kind of have see how you put it all together. And I, what's the what's the ratio of Wisconsin politics versus national politics, if you know? Well, it's mostly national politics, just uh, because I've I've done a lot of that for USA Today and, and other places. But there is a whole a full chapter of uh, of stuff just specifically uh, assigned to Wisconsin stories. So you know I've spent a lot of time following Paul Ryan uh, around. I've got some exclusive content there, some Scott Walker stuff, uh, Ron Johnson. I mean, it's it goes down the list. Also, there's the last chapter is uh, an unpublished thing that I'd written about the uh, the Hortonville teacher strike of 1973, which wow. is uh, wow. actually really, really interesting, and uh, I never got the chance to publish that. So, That's a big um, Wisconsin story, yeah. It was. It changed changed the way we dealt with uh, teachers and teachers' unions forever, yeah. actually. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember that, actually. <laughs> and you're not, but you went back and looked. So how, how about that? I did. Uh, so I look forward to that. Um, you're a fan of the Beatles. I'm a fan of the Beatles. I've, I've only watched the first installment, which is, they're all like two plus hours. I think one of them is almost three hours. Um, the the fascinating Peter Jackson doc, uh, documentary on, on just this... This is it. Two weeks? Is it two weeks? They were together in this little space. Yeah, it it, it the the documentary is almost as long as the actual time <laughs> that they were in the studio. Um, my wife kept walking in as I was watching it, saying, "How long is this thing?" <laughs> oh my god, my wife is this was my wife Kathy said the same thing. This is kind of long, and I just said it on on the air. I would watch John Lennon drink a milkshake because it gives me some exposure to somebody that is obviously a music icon. I would watch, watch, literally watch him drink a milkshake for an hour on this documentary because that's how fascinated I am by it. Right. I, I think you can split it off into two separate categories. There's, there's obviously the musical element of it where you know, you sit, you're watching Paul McCartney just sitting and riff on a guitar where uh, you know, uh, George is sitting three feet away from him, just kind of yawning, not realizing that the song that Paul McCartney is, is playing will eventually become Get Back, like one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, ah, this is, this is just kind of what Paul does. He just sits around and he writes great songs <laughs> every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just, in just that first two-plus hours, I was fascinated by the fact that in many ways it was a Paul McCartney-led band. I mean, Lennon was, at least the first installment, was fairly quiet. And the other big takeaway, Yoko Ono, she was there. She wasn't talking much. 
Yeah, there are some parts where uh, she starts singing. I, I don't want, I don't mean to spoil it for you. And uh, yeah, that's not great. But for the <laughs> most part, uh, I, I saw one. I saw one online magazine say this is Yoko's vindication that there's no way she both broke up the Beatles because because uh, she basically just sits there and she's supportive of John and everybody seems to kind of be supportive of the the fact that she's there. But I mean, there's just my favorite scene in the first episode was. Ringo's just sitting around with the uh, with the producer of the, the special that they're putting on, and they're talking about where this concert should be and scaffolding and things like that. And just in the corner, Paul's tinkering around on the on the piano, uh, some song he doesn't have have words to yet. And that song ends up being "Let It Be." <laughs> so, <laughs> I uh, you're, I mean, you're you're on the very nascent uh, edge of of learning how all these songs are written. And then aside from the music, just the other the other thing is it would be a great thing to watch like in human resources discussions about how to get along, how to work with people who you may not be able to stand, but you all have to come together for a common goal. Obviously they have fights in the group. Uh, John Lennon doesn't show up at some point. George Harrison, you know, wants to leave the group and, but they all somehow in these two weeks pull it together and, and create some of the greatest songs ever written. So would, would it be amazing. safe to say that without, I know that, that Lennon McCartney is the, 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 the substance, right? The, the, the foundation through their early days and then going to Germany and all of that. But without Lennon's leadership, there wouldn't have been a Beatles. Am I wrong in saying that? I mean, uh, McCartney's leadership, sorry. Yes, he's, he's clearly the guy, that, the guy that runs the band. I mean, he's, he's you know, not only a musical genius, but he's, he's the one that keeps everything together. Uh, he keeps saying throughout the, the documentary that he wishes he didn't have to do it, that they had some kind of, uh, you know, firm hand, whether that would have been Epstein or uh, who, had, who had died recently, or he just wanted somebody to, to kind of take over these duties for him. But, um, yeah, and, he, you know, he it's interesting. George Harrison complains that they don't listen to his ideas and they don't want to play his songs. And But Paul seems very interested in keeping Ringo involved. Mm-hmm. You know, there he's sitting at the piano, and he calls Ringo over. And he says, "Hey, Ringo, I think I got a song for you," and it ends up being "Carry That Weight" from mm-hmm. uh, from Abbey Road. But he never does that for for George, and uh, so you can you can just see the rift there. You probably know this better than I do because you're much more connected to music. Are the Beatles? I don't want to say relevant because they're always going to be relevant. Do is somebody younger than twenty five care about the Beatles? I think they do. I think. I mean, obviously, everybody knows who who the Beatles are, but uh, I'm kind of hoping this documentary does for Paul McCartney what uh, The Last Dance did for Michael Jordan, where you know a lot of the young people that think, well, obviously LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, uh, then they watch The Last Dance and they're like, oh no, wait a minute. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah, right. This Michael this Michael Jordan guy was actually pretty good too. So I'm hoping that does this for Paul McCartney for, for young people today that they, they watch this and they realize this guy is just knocking off <laughs> legendary songs just off the top of his head. And, uh, and he's the one that kept it all together. So, yeah. And for yeah. folks who are listening and saying, what are you talking about? I'm going to try, I got to find out if I can actually do this play that, that jam that we were referring to earlier where McCartney literally is just strumming on his guitar and creates one of the most, famous rock song rock songs of all time and he does it like in what two and a half minutes it's it's absolutely spectacular